Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Goran Ivanisevic, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Arete Complete is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. The towel was originally created to deal with the slipping and sliding that happens in high yoga. They've got a tennis towel that is phenomenal. The design is incredible. Sweat management is a real thing. And you know that... If you're slipping and sliding and you can't hold the racket, you got sweat pouring off your face, off your legs, you got to get yourself dry. This towel is the solution. See them at A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com and use the code SHAP20 in all caps for 20% off of your order. Today's guests comprise the greatest doubles team in tennis history, boasting 16 major championships and the 2012 Olympic gold medal to their name. They won six Australian Opens, two French Opens, three Wimbledons, and five U.S. Opens. They finished the year world number one, a staggering 10 years. Bob and Mike, Mike and Bob, however you want to say it, everyone knows who I'm talking about. The Bryan brothers are today's guests. Hang on, so you guys are in Florida. Yes, that's right. Yep. North Miami Beach. Hanging out for a couple days. Um, yeah, Mike's going to Mexico soon to, to for a little vacation. And then um, I'm going to get ready to maybe play some singles on the senior tour. Come on. Uh, I got my first singles match since 2009 playing Marty Fish in a couple weeks. And Mike might jump in. You're playing Marty Fish in a couple weeks. Yeah. Our Davis Cup captain. Yeah, we, we got the, the call to um, join a Legends event in, in Sherwood uh, Country Club out in California. And that's, what was that, the 26, 27, 28? And um, so we got to get the singles game ready, get out there and um, start hitting some balls, get these these bodies in shape. And Hang on, so you guys retired and now you're going out to play singles. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, we played a lot of baseline games against each other um, back in the day when we were on on tour so I, I think i think we can still do it but um i mean this competition is pretty stiff we got tommy haas in there he hasn't taken a day off since he retired james blake's playing uh marty fish robbie Janepri. and I mean, that's the big yeah. joke right that 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 tommy takes it way too serious he could still be i think uh top 50 i mean i, I hit with him the other day and he's he hasn't gained a pound. His, his muscles are, are chiseled, yeah. and he's hitting it just clean and clean and pure. I know. So, I mean, you go on Tommy Haas's internet, the guy is like a cyborg. Uh, gentlemen, you hear are really the greatest doubles team there's ever been. I don't even know what to say. I mean, 10 times finished the year world number one. Yeah. 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 We had, we had fun. We, uh, I mean, you can't do much better than that. That's Bob and Mike Bryan, Mike and Bob Bryan, however you want to say it. The two most bad-to-the-bone twin brothers I think there's ever been in tennis. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, no, no, we had a good time. It was a long career, 23 years. We're lucky to stay healthy for the most, most of it. Had some stuff go our way, and, you know, we, we loved playing together. We loved traveling. We... We loved waking up every day, shooting for that number one ranking, trying to win the big tournaments, and 
you know, we got in a position to chase some records. Now, do you guys have any feel for the last time you missed Australia? Can you, I mean, how many Australias in a row did you go to? 25? We played every year since, I think our first one was in 2000. Um, but we also played the juniors. So we've been down there a lot. I mean, it's, it's one of our favorite places to go. We had so much success. Uh, I think at one time we made nine uh, finals out of 10 years. So a lot of great memories. We're, we're missing our time down there. Um, maybe this was the year to miss because uh, of the bubble and, and that, but we'll, we'll definitely be going down. We have a lot of friends and uh, I'm sure we'll be playing in the, in the senior event against the Woodies yeah. <laughs> one day. Uh, but yeah, we, we, love, we love Melbourne. Now, um, as you know, I do a five-set format. The first set's the off-the-court report. I feel like we just started that. You guys are, you guys aren't really all that retired. It doesn't feel like. It seems like the beat kind of <laughs> keeps going on. Yeah, we're still pretty fresh in the retirement, but uh, yeah, I felt like it was a good, good year to go out. You know, the the game changed a lot with the bubble and the pandemic, so we were kind of forced to to put the rackets away anyway. And we're enjoying just spending a little extra time with family. And, yeah, we've talked to some of the players. You know, that two-week quarantine wasn't fun for them. You know, uh, just eating the same hotel food every day. And, you know, it's, it's amazing Craig Tiley has pulled this tournament off, you know, in, in this time. I wrote him an email to congratulate him. It's, it's really the, one of the best tournaments in the world. They, they treat the players awesome. Free food, you know, all-you-can-eat food, free stringing. They give you – they pay for your flights, which is unusual. And they just do everything to make the players feel good. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's our vote for the best tournament. Is, is it tough to get into the zone of retirement? Has it been hard to kind of put the rackets down maybe? I mean, it's, it's always in our blood. And, and, I mean, we just love getting up and having that mission of, you know, get on the court, get a little bit better, get the bodies and the minds stronger. Um, but, you know, now is just the time to, to really focus on spending it with the family. I mean, that's – we just bought ourselves extra time, and, and we're cherishing these moments um, with our family. We, we want to put this passion that we've had for so many years into something else, and it, it makes sense to put it back into tennis and, and give back to the game. And I'm, I'm, we're going to be a, a part of it as much as we can. You'll probably see us at tournaments still. And, and what, whether it be coaching, commentating, what, whatever it be, you know. Uh, but – we're always going to be, you know, out there hitting. We're going to go hit this afternoon. We still love it. Still love it. Still love it. Yeah. Uh, moving into the second set, what have your impressions been of the Australian Open so far? You know, men's and women's, you've been watching any of it? Yeah, it's been, uh, seems like the matches have been really exciting. Uh, watching it over in the States is a lot different than being down there in the, in the action. Um, those matches are happening, you know, in the middle of the night. So a lot of the, the U.S. audience misses a lot of it. So I'm going on YouTube watching the highlights. You know, the, the match with Fritz and Opelka seemed like it was just a barn burner. Then, you know, Kyrgios has had some battles. Tissipas and Kakanakis. There's been some amazing tennis already in, in the short amount of days that's happened. And, you know, I think the players – just are uh, ready to leave it on the line after spending so much time in their room. You know, they're, they're ready to, uh, to, to lay it on the line. It seemed like some of the players were a little miserable and a few others were just taking it, taking it on the chin and just going hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's gotta be tough to be locked down uh, in your room, but you gotta make the most of it. I mean, nowadays we, we have cell phones, books, and 
some some players ate it up. They they were hitting on the wall. They were getting in the best shape of their life. They had a stationary bike. They were killing it in there. And and I, I think some players came out of that um, in a good frame of mind. And um, others, it, it it hurt them. But um, yeah, I I had to lock down one time in um, Slovakia for two weeks and. I just uh, ate a lot of food and, and played some board games and <laughs> made the most of it. <laughs> Do you guys have any interesting, solid plans for an academy or start working with players? Are you going to get out on tour? What is the plan, if there is anything? Yeah, I mean, we've had fun um, here at home. I hit with a kid. You know, it's trying to break in the doubles tour. Um, you know, he's knocking on the door of top 100. Mike's helping a, a college kid that's – playing at the top of Boise State. So we're just, you know, we're not doing it for the money. We're just doing it uh, because we enjoy hitting. We enjoy kind of sharing some of our knowledge, enjoy helping kids or players that work hard and really respect the sport and that are, uh, you know, do it the right way. Um, and we, yeah, we just enjoy staying in shape as well. I mean, so it's, it's a great way to stay healthy and get a sweat, you know. No doubt. It's better than jumping on a Peloton you know, and, and burning it that way. It's always fun to get out in the sun and, and crack some balls. It's interesting to hear that. I mean, you know, quite often, like, people's relationship with sports or the te or tennis in particular kind of ebbs and flows. But yeah. after all those years, man, you guys still just ready to go crack balls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just fun hitting the ball pure. And uh, I still feel like, uh, you know, I just love getting out there. I feel like I'm, I'm still feeling good. Like the body, it's not giving me problems right now. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe the, the six months on the shelf helped, but um, yeah, it's just nice to go out there and hit, but not have to do the hour warm up in the gym, you know, the hour cool down, uh, all the stuff that it takes to be at the top, top level with the recovery and, and just worrying about all the details. It's interesting. You say that I remember watching you guys practice in like maybe Rome or, Indian, I can't remember where, but I was like, man, these guys have been on tour for 18 years. They practice so hard. Your yeah. footwork, the weight, the intensity, the amount of no joking around. Like, I couldn't believe, like, just how hard you guys practice on a Wednesday afternoon. We kept the bar really high in practice. We wanted to always practice like we played. Every shot had a consequence. We were always on each other's throats. I didn't want him to, to let down any. He kept me at playing at a high level. And, uh, yeah, we, we would only go for about an hour, an hour and a half, but we'd go super intense. We'd never drink water. And uh, we just felt like that translated right onto the match court whenever we were doing things right on the practice court. Um, and we had that focus and that intensity. It, it carried into our tennis. So, yeah, we um, – Never drink we, water. We didn't take a day off. Um, yeah, we, we're camels. We're, we're, we, um, we feel like, you know, we just like to hit as many balls as possible. Possible, Like a lot of times you only have the court for an hour. Um, and so we, yeah, we didn't like to waste time. Uh, we'd rather do 90 minutes hard than four hours. You know, there's a lot of other stuff you can do in the day. But if you just focus on every shot and like Mike said, you know, there's a consequence. If you miss that forehand in practice, you know, you're probably going to miss it when it counts in the match. So we really tried to keep the bar high. Now, do you guys feel that you could coach uh, elite singles? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's something that – I think it's some something that one day we're going to try. Um, 
you know, being a, a good coach is def, definitely a lot different than being a good player. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff, psychology stuff that goes into coaching and the way you communicate it. And, you know, I think we understand the game very well, um, singles and doubles. And uh, we love diving in and breaking apart uh, game plans and dissecting opponents. And it's something that we always did as a doubles team. We'd always go out there with a note card with 10 different strategies and things we could fall back on if something wasn't working. So we're students of the game and it's something that would be very interesting to us, but I think we would need a mentor. You know, uh, I think Nick Saviano is a great coach. Mm. Uh, you know, he's around the corner here. Might pick his brain. Jay Berger is a great coach up the street in Jupiter. Um, so yeah, if we, if we go uh, into it a little deeper, you know, maybe we'll, we'll talk to some of these guys and, and pick their brain. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of the show where we talk about your career. Normally I go from beginning to end, but you guys were at it for so long that I kind of want to just hit you with some questions that I'm interested in and let's see how we do, okay? Sure. Yeah. When you look back and it's not been that long, what stands out in your minds as the epitome of the Bryan brothers just humming? Where were you in your perfect sweet spot? I feel like we hit our stride um, sort of late in our career, around like 35. Um, you know, around then I felt like we learned a lot about our games, learned a lot about doubles, our bodies were feeling good. Um, and we'd accomplished a lot of our goals where we felt like we were playing with a, a big monkey off our back and we're playing free and easy. And, um, I think the gold medal led to that where we're just playing really happy. Um, that, that high lasted for so long that it really carried into, these slams and these tournaments, we'd win the close ones and we were just playing free and easy and our relationship was great. Um, and so, yeah, it, I just felt like we kept getting better um, until our mid thirties. Um, yeah, I would say our sweet spot was that, I would say 15 months after the gold medal, you know, that was, that was when we felt pretty unstoppable. And that was because of our joy. Um, you know, there was no bitterness. We, it felt like we accomplished it, a lot of stuff. And if the, if the game and everything stopped at that moment, we would be happy, you know? So that's when we were just letting it fire and we were dangerous. We were down breaks and we didn't care. You know, we were still smiling inside. So when was your worst tennis? I would say, I would say 15 and 16, you know, after kind of that golden era, you know, we won a hundred in New York in, in 2014 and, we looked at each other and we're like, are you good? <laughs> and uh, like, what else, you know, what else? We've gotten all those records we wanted to accomplish. A hundred seemed like a very round number. Yeah, we always had the no satisfied mentality. You know, we win a tournament, the next day we'd be working. That's when we actually were kind of a little bit satisfied. You know, we'd won a hundred at the US Open and we'd finished the year 10 times number one. And uh, we usually wrote down our goals in January. We didn't have any goals to write down. Um, so, you know, we took the foot off the gas. We, uh, our relationship wasn't as tight as it had always been. We were living on separate coasts. We weren't spending the off season together. Our, our team was a little bit fragmented. So we, I think we struggled um, through those couple years with motivation and just um, getting along as like a, a, you know, our chemistry was a little bit um, sour. Yeah. 
But um, toward the end, we, we rekindled that. And uh, we just came out with that, that just love for the process and the game and, and just enjoying what we did uh, by the end. Was there a, a player or a team that gave you the most trouble? Yeah, I mean, Daniel Nestor, we played, I think, what was it, like 65 times? And we had, I think we had the advantage in that, in that rivalry by one, you know, so he beat us over 30 times. Danny Nestor, what a career. Nasty lefty serve. I mean, I think he won almost 100 titles. Um, he was successful with Nolsey, successful Zimmo, and mm -hmm. Mirny. So he won slams with each guy and just very talented, uh, very unorthodox style. But he had the touch and he had just these loopy groundies. He had the lob and the nasty, the lefty serve was it was tough on me in the ad court. He had this very short bouncing kick serve wide where I would load my legs on my backhand, but then it would just tail away. And I would feel like I have no power. So, um, yeah, he, he gave me some nightmares. I'm sure we gave him a few nightmares, too, as well. We both stole a lot of money from each other. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, in our middle of our career, it was him and Zimanich, um were clipping us in a lot of big, big matches. And, um, you know, we ended up switching sides on them in the finals of the Australian Open. You know, I went from my trusty deuce court to the ad court just for one match which I felt kind of shifted the momentum in the rivalry a little bit. Really? Um, just really? Gave, gave him a new look, you know, won a big match, you know, a three-setter in the final. And it seemed like their team went south from there. They, they, um, they actually broke up eight months later. You guys played 90% of your tennis with both your forehands up the middle. Yeah, we, we switched in 03 and put our forehands down the middle. Um, and then we started having a lot of success. We won the French Open a few months later. And then we just felt like it, it was a great uh, formation to have Bob poaching with the foreign volley. I could return my backhand cross court, which was my strength. And so that was our, our money play is me trying to get the return down. And then, uh, you know, me playing the break points and then Bob sweeping across with the, the dangerous. Yeah, and then if they served our backhand, you know, I, I had to chip lob pretty much down in the deuce court. And then I could get four hands on the next ball. And we, we dominated a lot of matches with uh, the two-up, two-back formation, where we made guys hit a lot of volleys with the, with our forehands. And we liked um, hitting the inside-in forehand. So we'd run around and then hit inside-in in that alley and, and expose a weak net player. Who of the, of the elite singles players is the best doubles player? Well, you know, Nadal's had a great record. He won the gold medal, but Federer won the gold medal as well. Did you guys ever go toe-to-toe -to -toe with those guys? I mean, Rafa's yeah. doubles is unbelievable, huh? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. played Rafa, I think, seven or eight times, and we didn't lose to him until the very end of our career. You know, he'd always play with the Spanish guys. We loved playing against, you know, the guys that didn't love the net. So a lot of times Rafa was up there trying to do it all by himself, running around, poaching. You know, his game isn't you know, on paper, perfect for doubles, but he's, he's such a great competitor. It's very hard to hit that, that forehand that's just coming at you with so much spin, it, and it's always dropping in. You know, you think it's going out, and it comes back in. So and he coaches a lot. He's, he's yeah. really active um, at net. Federer is just, you know, a natural ability. He's got all the skills. He could, he could be a great doubles player if he wants to, um, but he's a little bit less active. You know, he's doubles is very fast twitch and sometimes he'll get out there and you know be graceful which isn't 
sometimes, um, you know, what doubles is, doubles is, is kind of a violent, quick, quick uh, game. But yeah. if his mind, if his mind's engaged, he's, you know, obviously devastating at, at either, either sport. You know, I've heard you talk about it before, but um, is there any regrets, anything that you left on the table singles-wise? Do you have any, I guess, if you have any regrets? I, I feel, I mean, it was, it was more my choice. Bob was knocking on the door of top 100. He was, you know, I think 115 in the world. And um, I knew I was struggling with some injuries. And, you know, I'm like, hey, hey Bob, you know, we can either – um, go play the big, the big tournaments and, and do this together. Or, you know, like we're going to sometimes have to go down to challengers and it, it was almost, we're on two different tours. Um, and so, you know, it was like to be the best, we got to focus all of our energy, start working on doubles drills, um, and just start refining our skills. And I'm like, you know, we should, we should try to be the best at this. And, and luckily he came on board, he agreed to do it. I don't know if you have any regrets, but, uh, I think that was a great decision just because we, we love doing it together and we got to travel the world world together. And, um, and we wanted to really play Davis cup back in the day. Um, that, that was one of our big goals. And on the Davis cup singles, a squad was like Agassi and Sampras. And, and so, um, the, the double slot slot was the, the spot to go after. And, and we just really wanted to do that together. And so, yeah. I mean, I would say if we had any regret, I would say, maybe not playing the 2016 um, Olympics, but we were in, like we talked about before, we were kind of low on motivation. We yeah. actually just went with our coach. We just didn't feel like we were going to go down there and make a good memory, you know? And, uh, you know, Zika was in the picture. Our, our wives didn't want us to go. It, it was just, a, you know, a kind of a last-minute decision. We had a bad loss in Montreal, and we were just in the dumps, and we just said, we're not going, but looking back on it, you know, every Olympics <laughs> is a, is a chance to have, have glory and to be with your fellow athletes. We, I'd probably do it different. Um, if, if I could go back and then I might want to redo a couple of those French open finals. We lost five, four of them, four of them in uh, three sets. And I feel like a couple of them down the stretch, we kind of got in fights and, you know, we didn't play our best tennis when we needed to in those, would it be fair to say that the clay gave you trouble compared to no, not really, no, right? You we, guys were yeah, just we, as, yeah. No, we love the clay. We felt like we were almost more dangerous on clay because we couldn't get served off the court. And we right. loved hitting roundies. And I feel like we were more consistent on clay than any other surface. Um, it was easier for me to return. Um, the lob was easier to hit. Um, we loved it. And, you know, what happened to the French, we only won it twice. You know, I'm grateful to win it twice, but, you know, I feel like we could have yeah, maybe, maybe won it five or six or maybe even seven times um, had, I don't know. It, okay. Those matches would get sticky. I think it was a – Clay was an equalizer in a lot of, a lot of moments, and uh, it made a lot of other teams better at times. Um, a lot of the singles guys were dangerous on the dirt. Oh, right. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was one match. I mean, I think we had break points in a couple of them against Bjorkman Mirny in the third. And then there was a couple matches. I served for the match in one of the years against Dodig Mello. Yeah. So you give us a couple points, and we might have, you know, five French Open titles. 
But I, I feel like when we were playing great, um, we were really dangerous on dirt. Um, just because, you, you know, you need variety on, on clay. And I felt like our hands were soft enough to drop the ball down and hit some good lobs. And we won a ton of Monte Carlos. We maybe won that six or seven times and won a lot of Rome and, and Madrid. And, and um, yeah. We were undefeated on um, dirt at, at our Davis Cup matches on the road. You know, I think we were 10-0 on the road. And whenever our, our Davis Cup team played on the road, they always chose clay. Um, but you always see more upsets in, in doubles on dirt. And you, a lot of times you see the doubles draw decimated by some singles, some, some dangerous forehands that jump in the doubles draw. And, 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 and it, gets, it gets slow and they just have time to set up and the, the court opens up and they can use all those skills. Um, but I, I felt like we could, we could do that too. Uh, I think the, the best we ever played was maybe the 03 French Open when we only had one set go uh, uh, above 6-4. Uh, and we were just locked in, and it felt like we were, uh, we were just in every point. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how would you guys say the double strategy and the style changed from the time you started to the time you finished, the way it is now? To me, it, to me, it looks almost unrecognizable at times. Yeah, it's definitely morphed uh, over the years. Um, I think we were one of the first teams to really play super aggressive on the net and, and play a really power doubles and do a lot of poaching and, and take away the middle. Um, and then, you know, everyone kind of wanted to play like us. So they, they started doing that. They started getting tighter to the net, which is the, the best way to play. And, tight to and, the net. Then, tight yeah, to the net. And then with, yeah. And then with technology, I thought re returns got more, more devastating and, and you could, you could dip a return down. It's really tough to half volley. So uh, I think doubles players tried to mess with the returner and, and then they add the I formation and a, a lot of movement and a lot of strategy that, that way. So you, you very rarely give a guy his, his favorite return, which is cross court. So you're, you're showing a lot of moves. So now I would say it's predominantly I formation. Yeah, and then when we came out on tour in the late 90s, no one stayed back on their serve. You know, that, that happened in around 2005 when the rules changed for entry. That's when the single they opened the door for the singles players to enter doubles tournaments. So okay. that's when guys started serving, staying back. And then guys started doing that really well. And so now, I don't know, I would say most guys serve and stay back, you know. Um, Does that, did, that, did that throw you off or you just play it, right we, through it? We loved it. I mean, loved it. in 05, 06, 07, those are some of our best years. I think 07, we were 77 and 9, and that was beating up on a lot of, you know, Tommy Robredos and guys that would um, weren't super comfortable at the net. And we were using our forehands to kind of just go right at them and just say, hey, beat us with the volley. And, you know, but a few years, a few years after that, guys had played, you know, 100 doubles matches. They, they figured it out. You know, they were... They were good enough. But at least we always loved playing guys that were singles players. That, that's where, you know, we had very good records against guys that stayed back. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, and you guys say what comes in your mind. You ready? Okay. Your current racket. Babylon. Babylon. Yeah. yeah. Which stick do you play with? We used the we used the pure drive and we, we switched late in our career just because we felt like we, we needed a little bit more pop and needed to yes. catch up with the technology. A little extra and so we, uh, it's a plus a plus. Yeah, it, we never really wanted to change because we loved our friends, but our coaches said, hey, they just forced it in our hands one day. 
We're like, okay, we'll try it. And we're like, we yeah, we're never going back. With, uh, yeah, Slinko. The Hyper uh, oh, you use the Hyper G string. We love the Hyper yeah. G. Yeah, we love that. that. has power, but you can also feel the ball. It's usually those polyester strings are, are dead. You know, this what tension do you string at? Low. We've always gone um, low 40s. You know, Both sometimes you. we dip into the 30s, but we're big fans of easy power. Grip size. Four and three-eighths with an overgrip. Yeah. So a little bigger than four and three-eighths. Where do you guys keep your trophies? Bob's got a huge trophy case right in his, uh, that's your TV room, right? Yeah. Came with the house. Yeah. yeah. I was lucky it had a big built-in. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I got some in storage, but I'm starting to shine them up. Um, and I'm, I'm getting my house organized. But I got um, my gold medals at my buddy's house in his safe. Um, hopefully it's still there. I haven't seen him for a couple of years, but uh, yeah, Bob, Bob's got a, a great display. I mean, your, your house right here looks like looks like the whole thing. Did you guys save your credentials? Um, I say, yeah, we were doing that for a bit, you know, um, but once we got over about 500 tournaments, it got too big. It was it filled up a whole room, so um, we stopped. No, we save. We would save the ones when we won the tournament. I'd usually take the racket out. You know, wrap it, wrap the credential around the racket, and just shove it in the closet. Oh, that's clever. That's clever. I guess when you win a hundred, you gotta, you gotta dial down your saving of stuff, right? When you yeah, yeah, exactly, they can choose the big ones. Your greatest win? Uh, Olympic gold medal match in London, 2012. I would say our greatest wins maybe 2005 Open. We lost five Grand Slam finals in a row. We were going for the, the sweep anti-slam, and it, it just felt that turned our career around. Uh, getting that win. Who'd you beat? Bjorkman Mirny in under an hour. It was one of our better matches we've ever played. Just wiped them out and turned it back around. Yeah, turned around. Your favorite tournament? Monte Carlo. We we love just going, <laughs> hanging out with the prince. He'd always invite us over to the to the his oh, castle or palace, yeah. and we we played just unreal there. Um, it's just I don't know if it was the view or or, or what, but um, it felt like the conditions were absolutely perfect. The balls were just heavy enough. The courts were slow enough where um, it just felt like we couldn't miss. And, and I think we played it 10 times and won it six. six. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was a good record. That's a good record. The Aussie Open. Um, we stayed at the Crown Casino. You know, uh, hit the tables a little bit. But it's right there on the Yarra River. Beautiful. You could walk to the courts. Can, Those are two good spots. I'm surprised. A lot of times we hear uh, Indian Wells. The players well, Indian look wild for Indian Wells. No, no, that's definitely top three or four. You know, stay at Lakita, have the courts there, and our band always played on a Thursday night. Fun little gig. I, I, yeah. I, I've, uh, I've been uh, witness to that. That is probably one of the best uh, early round nights you can have in tennis. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Your favorite city? Favorite city? I would say London. I mean, we've, we've probably spent a year of our life there, <laughs> and uh, we would just head over after the French Open and stay in Chelsea. And yeah, there's so many just great restaurants and, and we know the city so well. And we just settle in all the way through Wimbledon. And I'm going to say Paris, yeah. you know, um, just the city itself, nothing else. Yeah. Um, uh, just because there's so many, so much sights to see. There's so much history and it's where I brought my <laughs> wife for the first time. And I kind of wooed her with some good, good spots. And uh, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Brian, that's that Hunter uh, Cop that's take place. Good. Yo, the City of Love, right here on right on Valentine's Day weekend. Bob yeah, Brown with the City of Love. Now, 
Your favorite court. It's going to be any court in the world. What's your favorite court? You probably, maybe you played your best tennis on it or you just love it the most. Maybe Monte Carlo Center, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's the one where you felt most comfortable. But I know you can't beat Center Court of Wimbledon. I mean, it's like you're walking into a haunted house. Just the walk from the locker room to the to the court is is amazing. You know, you, you can't stop from looking looking at the pictures and the trophies and the most cavalier thing you guys ever did with prize money right out of the office. Uh, I, I remember when Bob uh, won the mixed doubles with Martina Navratilova at the U S open. And I, and we were sharing our money at that time. And uh, I remember he, he sent the bank account, a check for 75. I was just waiting for it to hit. And I went over to the portion of the shipping cup. Yeah, a, a Porsche. So thank for you. Thanks to Bob uh, for that one. Um, Bob wins. Bob wins mixed, and you go buy a Porsche. Yeah, he's oh! working for me. Oh, that's nice. That's sweet of you, buddy. No, what else? Yeah, I, I think when I won the 2010 mixed doubles open, I took it right to a a jeweler and got an engagement ring for my wife. That's not cavalier. That's the right thing to do. But you do it with the mixed money, it sounds like. No, no, no. We always we, we pour a lot of our money into music equipment. And, and Bob, you bought a well, – how much is your piano down here? That that, that was uh, that was a huge buy, almost a hunch. That was it. <laughs> you, did, you just yeah. dropped 100 grand on a piano. That was um, – yeah, that was a 2013 Wimbledon. Took it to the Yamaha dealership and got a, a grand piano. <laughs> but we've used it – you break it down by the hour, it's probably five cents an hour. <laughs> The best EXO you've ever been a part of, the most, I don't know, lavish or bonkers event you ever played I mean, that they they flew you in or something. I mean, we were a part of that that Federer tour down in Brazil, which was amazing just to be on riding the rails with him. But we also uh, rode the rails with him down in Mexico. And at the time, it was the biggest crowd in the history of tennis. It was, I think, around 50,000 people. Um, and I think he Federer sold it out in like 12 minutes, but we played the Mexican guys, um, Santiago Gonzalez and, and Mickey. Yeah. And, um, that was cool. I mean, it was just, we played in this huge bull ring and, yeah. and the lights and the music, it, it was just surreal. Big, big entourage or lean and mean. Were you guys in favor of? We were pretty, um, we were pretty lean and mean. A lot of times it was just a trio, uh, us two and Macker. Yeah, and uh, you know we bring our wives or girlfriends in in and out, but Macker held it down. It us three playing cards at a back table in the player lounge a lot of those years, you know. Yeah, keep it simple, lean and mean. Let's move into the fifth and final set. We call this the king of the court. If you could be the kings of tennis and just make a change, anything in the sport you could do, what would it be? I would say play let's. Play let's for sure. Play let's. That's a that's an old school rule that needs to go. I would say the three to five thing. I've, I've been thinking about that. It's a lot of time for for a, a spectator, a fan that who's got three or four hours to watch a whole match. I mean, everything in today's society is so quick and fast paced that it's it's hard to watch dances with wolves every every time you you watch a slam match, a, a men's match. So I would take that down. I think they should play one tournament a year with wood rackets. You know? <laughs> like everyone should just go down to wood, you know. Um, think that um, yeah. there was a there was an EXO years ago. They called it the Hardback Classic, where they put. You guys played that one time in New York. We played yeah, at the Armory Instagram. in New York. Yeah, yeah, the Armory. We played, played it with wood. Clothes. That yeah, was a cool event, man. Better. 
It was, was cool. cool. To, yeah. And I find with the wood, all your solid strokes don't go away. You know, like Mike, your back end return was all my four and I could hit with a frying pan. But then the, the shots you think about are way worse. Yeah. You know? If you have any technical flaws, it's going to come out with wood. It's kind of interesting that those wood rackets are kind of the truth. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Wood. It really cleans up your strokes. I feel like I saw you guys come on tour when you guys were like right out of the box out of Stanford. And yeah. <laughs> I can't just, you know, say just congratulate you guys enough on one of the really most legendary and incredible uh, careers you could have in tennis. I tell you, I love watching you guys play, you know, the way you interacted with the fans and with the press and with everybody. You know, I think a lot of players on both men's and women's tennis could learn from that. Um, what prompted the accessibility and what prompted the, you know, just kind of the all around groove that you guys sort of have had? Our dad always really gave back, you know, he did so much with the kids and he would bring us along to his clinics, you know, and even when we we're on the tour, my dad was traveling, you know, working at Cincinnati, LA. And a lot of times we were, even before our match, we we're out there uh, hitting with the kids and, you know, during our practices, he would bring some kids out from the crowd. We'd serve to them, you know, some of our, our fans, you know, you would we'd take them out to dinner after the match and, just showed an appreciation for the people that supported us and trying to give back. I mean, we were inspired by the guys like Agassi and Edberg that took a little time in the, in the parking lot to sign autographs or take a picture, you know? So people don't know that too. You know, like I remember being with Andre in Munich and, and he literally first couple days of practice, he'd sign every single person yeah. watching his practice autograph. If he had the time, he would do it. But so you guys have, you guys have been special. It's so, it's so easy to do. And, you know, if a little kid like us, we are eight years old, freaking out on Andre Agassi, if, if we have any kind of 1% the impact, you know, then it's, it's worth it for the tennis, for the, for the whole sport. Hey, I, listen, I loved every second of this. Um, best of luck to both you guys in your retirement. And uh, Mike and Bob, Bob and Mike, however you want to say it, uh, you guys are released. Thank you. Hey, thanks. thanks Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Huge thank you to Mike and Bob Bryan, and thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com and use my code CRAIG30 at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Once again, Arete Complet is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. They are a tremendous gift. Use my code SHAP20 in all caps to receive a 20% discount. If you have not done it, please subscribe, rate, review the show. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. <laughs> 